Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We are continuing our series today on the book of Acts, and it's a little different instead of being verse by verse. We're kind of just looking at some of the themes and things we see in the early church. And the biggest thing is this is series is called Acts Jesus-Centered and Spirit-Filled. And so all through the book of Acts, as you read about the early church, there's these themes that happen where they were centered on Jesus. That was the thing they hung their hat on. That was the thing that um, brought them together. That was the thing that they pursued and that they continued to stay strong in. And they were spirit-filled. They had the power of the Holy Spirit and, and, and Jesus baptizing the Spirit to do those mighty works of God. To even start, the guys, the, the incredible thing that just the, the church started and launched and continued to grow. I mean, that was the power of the Holy Spirit doing that. And so... This is a little different. We're kind of looking at these things. And Scott just got done for a few weeks talking kind of out of Acts 3 where we see the miracle that happened um, when Peter healed the, the lame beggar at the, at, the, at the entrance of the temple. And just talking about the gifts and the spiritual gifts. And so I encourage you, if you missed that, especially if you're newer to um, our church or you're newer to even that idea of the, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and today, I encourage you, go back and listen to those. Um, really helpful to understand what comes along with the Holy Spirit. It's not just about like, oh, I need to get saved. I need to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, there's these check marks. It's more about being empowered to do ministry, not just to talk about ministry. And so I encourage you to listen to that. But we're going to kind of jump back a little bit. I'm going to talk, start in Acts 2 and a couple spots there and, and 4 and then go some other places with something else that I see throughout the book of Acts here. And so, you know, as Americans, there is a saying that is really popular, and it's been popular for a long time, but I'd say over the last 20 years, about 21 years, especially after the events of 9-11 21 years ago, it got even more prolific, even more common, and it's this. You can probably finish it for me. United we stand, right? That's just like an American mantra, right? <laughs> I feel like everybody knows that. Everybody can finish that. And this has actually been a popular saying in America since before we were even a country. So this came out of a song that was written in 1768 by a guy named, guy named John Dickinson who wrote a song called The Liberty Song. And that was in 1768. And this is a reflection of the political strife that was happening in, in, the, in the colonies caused by the Townsend Acts of the previous year of 1767. So this was the latest um, round of uh, taxes, crown taxes put on the colonies. And of course, that whole thing we all know if we uh, paid attention to history, if you fell asleep, taxation without representation, that whole thing. Okay, so that was, but here is the famous line in the song. It said this, by uniting we stand, by dividing we fall. And of course, that idea of uniting ended up being the very name of the country that was formed out of the revolution. That's what the United States of America. There was like these individual identities, but at the same time, they were saying we were united together. And Here's the thing, you, there's some real truth in that song lyric. And the founding fathers knew that if they were going to have any chance to win their freedom against England and to stop all this from happening, that they had to be united. We're talking about England was the, the world power at the time. They were definitely the world naval power. There was no one who had a navy anywhere close to what England was. But you could arguably say they were the world power at the time. And you're talking about their colonies overseas that were pretty dependent on them for a good chunk of time. 
And so they, they knew, the founding fathers knew, we have to be united in this. It has to be all 13 colonies. There's no way that half of us could fight this battle. We would all have to be together. And so that became, out of that, even a thing that they talked about then, that uniting we stand together. And that's why the United States of America was getting that idea that they could only do it together, and it would even set the course for history, of course. If you don't know, America won, Okay. You should know that one, even if you fell asleep in history class, all right? How many of you guys like history? Raise your hand. All right, buddies, cool. All right, the rest of you, I like you too, okay? I wasn't saying anything, but you should at least know that America won the war, of the Revolutionary War. Okay, so, but here in the book of Acts, we read about the start of the church, not of a country, but of the church, and I want you to notice something. So look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, I want you to look at the King James Version. It's on the screen, and it says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Would you join me as we just pray over the word of God today? Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. God, I pray that it would land on good soil today. I open my heart to your word. I pray that the people of this church would. And would you speak to us? And let us, uh, let us be with one accord in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. They were all with one accord in one place. I'm not talking about your car from high school either, okay? How many of you had a, had a Honda Accord? Come on. Civic? Yeah, the rest of us poor people like Civic. You guys had the Accord. Had power windows probably. My McCran- you know, I didn't have any of that. I had a Chevy Cavalier. Yeah, yeah. That thing went zero to 60 sometimes, you know? I mean, that was like, and that's not a joke either. <laughs> I wish it was, but it didn't have, it didn't have uh, power windows. It didn't, it had power locks that didn't work. It had, uh, it, it had no AC, which is probably normal. It had no heat either. <laughs> Found that out on a cold night one time. And no radio either. So, you know, you kids who complain about your car, just stop, okay? Just stop it. You don't know. All right. But I'm not talking about the car. One accord would mean this. Accord means agreement or harmony. A synonym for those is unity. You could replace that here and say they were all unified and in one place together. That's the, that's the idea. And some of them say they were all together in one place. But there's this connotation that they were all unified together. They were in harmony. They were in one accord. They were in agreement together as they then cried out. And we see that was when, of course, the Holy Spirit fell on them and the power of God come. But why do I point this out? Because unity is not an American principle. It's a biblical principle. It's a God thing. And as much as I agree with the principle as, uh, in our nation, okay, and I'm not, I'm a, I'm a patriot, all right, I, I agree with that in our nation, I am, but more than that in the church as believers, we have to understand this is a biblical principle that the church was founded on. This was when, this, in this moment was when Jesus had said, wait here. He leaves and he says, wait here, don't go start telling people, don't do wait here until the Holy Spirit comes. It was in that moment they were all together and they were all saying, yes, Jesus said this, that's what we're gonna do. And they were all doing it and they were all one heart and they were seeking after that gift that he was giving. And as I studied the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament and even the words of Jesus himself, 
I am compelled not only by the pattern of unity I see in the church, but by the necessity of unity in the church. It's like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. This is a little bit longer passage, and we're going to read the whole thing so we can kind of understand what's going on here. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. How many times is the word one used in that? Obviously talking about being united together as believers. Now, verse 14 says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet there's one body. Talking about we all have differences, we all have different gifts and all different things, and God arranges that just right, but we all make up one body. Now, verse 21, he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Cut off your big toe and tell me how much it affects your life, right? I mean, that's, that's the idea here. And those, um, on, on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. On our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. So God does different things in different ways for different people, but it all fits together. But God has, this is the point I want to get to. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. There should be no division in the body. See, unity is inherent in the church, meaning it does not function without it. That's Paul's point here in 1 Corinthians. And as you study unity from the start of the church, it's just inherent. It's, it's what makes us the church is that we're unified together. And if we don't have that, we do not function. If we're saying, oh, well, I have no use for you because I'm more important than, you know, that, like the head saying to the feet, I have new need for you. Good luck, head walking around on your own, right? Like there's that whole concept. And he's saying it's, it doesn't even function correctly unless we're unified. It's built in. So what does that mean for me as a believer? What does that mean for me in my individual faith? It means that unity is vital to true Christian faith. It means that for me as a believer, I need unity with the body of Christ. If you take that out because, yeah, we would all say, yeah, I need, yeah, unity in the body of Christ. But if I think my faith depends on that, See, my, my faith in God, to me to continue and to serve well and to do what God has called me to do, I need unity with the body of Christ because I can't do everything 
He's given me one part. I'm one part of his body. I need to do that. And I need others to make that happen. And they need me to make that happen. If I'm a true disciple of Christ, I should desire and seek unity with my fellow believers. It should just be part of my faith in, in Jesus. I should also be compelled to see, see unity in the body of Christ. As Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, he said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Do you want to be called a child of God? I want to be called a child of God. That's what the body of Christ is, right? He calls us sons and daughters of God. He says, blessed are the peacemakers because those will be called children of God because unity is just a part of the family of God. Unity is just a part of what makes us the church of Christ. So today I want to talk about what does it take to be unified in Christ? What does it take to be unified in Christ? If I should desire that of myself and my faith, if I should desire that in my church and the church, the big C church, all, all believers, what does it take for us to have that unity? First thing is this, Jesus. Sunday school answer. Everybody's like, I guessed it right, Jesus, right? Keep guessing Jesus and you're gonna get it. And it was the first answer. But seriously, it is the name of Jesus that unites us. As we said, the early church, they were Jesus-centered from the very start, even when his command was just, hey, wait. Hey, wait here. They were like, okay. Hey, Jesus said, wait. Hey, don't go anywhere, Jesus said, wait. You know? Like, they, we, that is the way and the reason we are unified together. Acts, it just, in Acts chapter 2, if you go down to verse 44, Okay, so just to understand what happened, Holy Spirit falls uh, on them. G uh, Peter preaches a message that a bunch of people get saved. And this is kind of where we're at. And I'll talk more about that in a second and get some more details there. But Acts 2 verse 44, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. All who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, I want you to understand the context here. Like I said, right after we read Acts 2, one Acts two eight of course Holy Spirit falls on them. Okay, as as the Holy Spirit they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, they begin to speak in other tongues, or really that just means other languages. Okay, and just so you know, like when we say tongues and even the gift of that, that's talking about other languages. It was just a way of describing it. Okay, but as the Spirit enabled them to do so, they began to speak in those other languages. They're in a room all together. There's a bunch of people in Jerusalem, a bunch of Jews that have made pilgrimage pilgrimages I'm struggling okay to there from their country and it says and I quote they were from all nations under heaven okay now that might not have been 100% it might have been a figure of speech but it was the idea that they were from all over the place and they had traveled to Jerusalem to worship and so what happens is those people that are from all nations all over they begin to hear them praising God in their own native language not in the one they shared, which could have been Greek or it could have been Aramaic or something that they would have, uh, you know, shared. It was saying they, they were all amazed, it says, because they heard them speaking in their own languages. And each one of them heard that. And, and it says that all of them, I mean, all of them heard that. So every language that was out there, I mean, they just all heard that. Peter then gets up and preaches probably one of the greatest messages ever. 3,000 people get saved. I haven't seen that before, but I mean, 3,000 people get saved. Okay, so then, you know, we get to Acts 2.42, which we talk about a lot here at Pathway in our vision. 
and it's talking about, and they are all living together, and there's a commonality, and that's part of what they have in common is they're all staying there, but we'll talk about that in a second. But I want you to understand, we're talking about 3,000 people from all different nations that even have different native languages and different cultures. It also said that the number right before this, it says that the, they were, uh, more were added to their number daily, so it was probably more than 3,000, and that's the people that it says, and all who believe were together and had all things in common. They had nothing in common. <laughs> they didn't have the same culture. They didn't have the same native language. They weren't even, most of them weren't even home. They had nothing in common except Jesus. They had nothing in common except Jesus. And that made them say, we have all things in common. That was everything. In fact, that's why they stayed there. I understand there's a part of this is saying they were just all like living in the same spot. And so they had all things in common, like they were living on top of each other. I mean, basically, like they were all trying to figure this out. But that was part of the reason they stayed there. Even the fact that they had that in common, the reason they were staying is because of Jesus. And there was no go home and find a good church and other Christians to hang out with. This was it. And they were were like, why would I go home? There's no one else that knows Jesus. That's why they stay there. We don't even see them start to really spread the, 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 the word of God really spread in the, in, in the way we know it until Acts chapter 7, after Stephen is stoned and then they scatter and then it happens. But it is inherent to our faith that there, we are uni, uni, unified in Christ, united in Christ, because he is the reason we are unified in the first place. He's the reason we came here today. It wasn't the person singing, they're not that good. I promise you, the guy back there does a really good job making me sound real good. You heard what's in my ears, it's not the same, okay? It's not because your pastor's super handsome. I know he is, okay? And he talks about it sometimes, okay? But it's not that, as much as we like to look at him, right? It's not those things. We came because of Jesus. That's what brought us here. That's what made those people stay. He is why we even would ever gather together. This group of people that has all kinds of differences and all kinds of different backgrounds and things and different personalities and maybe all those won't get along and all that stuff. But we are unified together because we serve Jesus. We know Jesus. In other words, without Christ, there is nothing that truly brings us together. And this was even Jesus' prayer for us. In John chapter 17, this would have been right after the Lord's Supper, right before Jesus goes out into the Garden of Gethsemane and begins to pray and then is arrested. And, and, and that starts, of course, the trial and the crucifixion. This is during his prayer. And so it, to help make sense of the first sentence, that's where the context. And he says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. He's praying over his disciples because that's who he's with. He says, and I am coming to you. So that's that's the context. He said, I'm no longer in the world. I'm just about to leave. But they're still here. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That was his prayer for the believers when he was getting ready to leave the earth. As believers, we need to abide in Christ. We need to remain in Christ, to be marked by the name of Jesus, because that is what's going to unify us. And Jesus said it would even, his prayer for us was that it would, it would connect us, the name of Jesus. He says that your name, which you have given to me, and as we under the name of Jesus that we unite, says that they may be one as we are one, as the Father and Son are one. 
that's his desire for us, that there would be this connection that's the same as God the Father and God the Son, who are, are literally one. It's a supernatural bond that God wants to, us to make. And that's what happens when we unite under the name of Jesus. It's supernatural. It's beyond this world. It's something this world wouldn't understand because it's beyond it. So if you want to see unity in the body of Christ, then that should mean, that should compel me. I need to grow closer to Jesus. If, if I see disconnect or if, 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 if I think there's disunity in the body of Christ, I should compel others to grow closer to Jesus because he's the one who brings us together. And I should seek, um, compel others to seek that. It's what I call, I kind of call the triangle principle. And I just made it up. Okay, I just make up stuff, okay? So the triangle principle, and I've used this before talking to couples and stuff as well. But it's kind of like if you picture a triangle and there's two, two people right here. Okay, so there's two believers. And the tri- that's would be the bottom of the triangle and then there's the top and then at that is Jesus, okay? He's always at the top, okay? So... And you can imagine, like, there's this, there's this space between, right? There's this gap. There's a, this line. You could even imagine, like, that's gone. There's just this space there. there. Either way, there's this distance. And on a triangle, it's the maximum distance you can have, right? So this idea that they're um, apart, there could be disunity, right? There's differences. There's things we don't get along. But what happens when both of those start seeking after Jesus and getting closer to Jesus? What happens to those two points? They get closer together. Even just by me seeking after Jesus and you seeking after Jesus, we already get closer together because he's the thing that unites us in the first place. And so I should seek that myself. I should seek that from others. And yes, we should try to work things out, but overall what we need to do is compel one another and myself to seek after Jesus because that's really what's gonna bring us together because that's why we have this in common. That's why we really connect in a different way than even the world. The closer I get to Christ, the closer I become to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Second thing we need to see in the church is love. We need Jesus, we need to remember that's who we, and we need love. The Apostle Paul wrote, all you need is love. Wait. Sorry, that was Sir Paul. Sir Paul McCartney. I liked that joke. That was for me. Okay, I like that joke. No, but seriously, we need to love one another. In fact, Jesus commanded it. John 13, kind of in the similar context of what was going on, it was kind of at that last supper, talking to his disciples, to the 12, and he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. He says, a new commandment I give to you to love one another. But how can you command love? How can you command love? Isn't love a feeling? How do you command that? Isn't love a feeling? Nope. It's not. Love is a choice. It's something we choose to do. It's the way we treat someone. We, we do it. You know, one of my, I've talked about this before. Um, one of my favorite movies growing up was this fantasy movie, and there was this stuff in it called The Dust of Broken Hearts. And only a few of you are probably going to know what movie I'm talking about. But, so wh- how it worked was like this fairy dust, and if something, if it got on someone, or you breathed it in or whatever, then they would start to feel the love. Like, that was how, and so what happened, like, if a man got it on him, the first woman he saw, he'd just fall madly in love with. 
like spouting poetry and just like, I mean, just all these really, just, you know, just ridiculous, like, you know, just, and couldn't do anything else but express the love. And then what would happen is it would wear off. It would go away <laughs> and they'd have a headache and have no idea what happened. And some were like, yeah, I think, well, I think I relate. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, so, no but it was just this idea of like, of course, you could see how that would cause problems if you profess all these romantic things. And you're like, what happened? What did I say? You know, like, and some husbands maybe feel like that. What did I say? What did I say? You know, no. But the, sometimes I think the world treats love like that. That's, that's, that's even the expression we say, I fell in love. Picture that for a second. Like I tripped and fell and love was the result. Have you ever tripped and fell and had that be the result? I don't think so, all right? And, but sometimes we treat love in that way. And the world definitely does. It's something you fall into. And I believe it's part of why divorce rates are so high in our culture. And of course, that's not going to do the church as well because it's a mindset thing. If I fall in love, I can fall out of it. If it was the feelings I had for you, if those don't, I'm not feeling those now, then I, then I must, we must not be in love. But any of you who are married in this room, you stood in front of your, your bride or your groom on your wedding day and you made what? Vows. Those are choices. Those are promises. Those are covenants. And that's what real love is. Love is a choice. It's saying, I will do this. It actually makes it, if, if it was something that was completely out of control and you just kind of felt it went away, even the sacrifice of Christ wouldn't be the same. He chose to go on the cross. He prayed in the garden and said, God, if there's any other way, please take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Because I love this world, I can't see it die. That makes it even more powerful. And 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. We are choosing to treat others this way. But God will also help us do it as well. It's another reason why we need to seek after Jesus and become closer to God and even be spirit-filled as we try to do this whole thing together because God will help us to do that. A lot of the things you see in 1 Corinthians 13 here that describe what love is is very similar to something you see in Galatians 5 when Paul describes what the fruit or the product of the Spirit are, or really what that means is what, we, what will happen if we live a life in step with the Spirit or we are following the Spirit instead of our flesh because those things are, of course, love is the first one. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, those things. Because the fruit of the Spirit will lead to these things as well. And so we need to be Spirit-filled to love one another well. We do. It isn't easy, and we have to recognize that because it takes that supernatural thing that we need that. And we often look at and use this passage for talking about um, our loving our spouse or maybe our kids or our family or even sometimes unbelievers in the way that we should reach out, which is all true and those are a message for another time. But love for one another needs to be a marker of the church. It needs to be something that, we, that, that is just part of who we are, that people could look and say, 
man, that's the church. It's got to be. Look at, look at that passage and tell me this. As you look at those different things, what would it be like if we treated one another in the church like this? What if we were patient with one another? What if we were just so kind to one another? What if we didn't envy one another and wish we had what they had and instead we just loved them? We didn't envy that. We, we, we didn't boast. We weren't, we weren't proud. We didn't say, well, I'm better at this than them. We didn't look down on people. What if we didn't dishonor others? We always honored one another. We didn't talk down to one another. We didn't gossip about one another because we always wanted to show honor to my fellow believers, my brothers and sisters in Christ. What if we didn't, weren't self-seeking and we thought of others above ourselves? What if I wasn't easily angered by other believers in the church? What if I believed the best about them and I gave them the benefit of the doubt? What if I didn't keep records of wrongs? What if I truly forgave my fellow believers in, my, in church? Because I know it's, I mean, they just love Jesus and they're just trying to seek him just like I am. They're human just like I am. What if we didn't delight in evil? There's some, there's some purity in there too. We didn't delight in evil. We didn't do that. But we rejoiced with the truth. We, didn't, we weren't glad when someone fell. and Instead, we were glad when they were seeking after the Lord. We weren't glad when they were choosing the wrong things. We weren't saying, that's okay. That's cool. Instead, we were saying, no, point, go to Jesus. What if we protected one another? We trusted one another. We hoped for one another. And we persevered together in this. As I said, love for one another needs to be a marker of the church. In fact, our love for one another and the unity it brings as disciples of Christ should look different than the world. It should look different than the, how the world treats one another. Moreover, Jesus said that the world will know we belong to Christ by the way we love one another. Saying the world would know. John 13, 35 says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you Talk about me all the time. If you can sing well, if you listen to Christian radio, I'm not saying those things are bad, but what does it say? If you love one another. Look at, look at the way the, the New Living Translation says this. It says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Our love for one another is proof of God. The world should look at us and say, there is, God must exist because there is no way all those people can get along. <laughs> I mean, that's what it seems like. They should look at us and be like, there must be something going on because I have never seen people get along like that. I've never seen people love one. I've never seen people disagree and still love each other like that. Hello, the world right now, like, right? If you disagree, it's like, well, I gotta hate you, you know? It's like, that's how the, that's how the world does it. We gotta cancel everybody. We gotta, what if we did, and we just like, no, I still love you because you know what? We got Jesus in common and that's everything, right? And the world could look at that and say, man, something is different and I want that in my life. It's proof of God and it should even draw people to God. We need to love one another like that. Third thing we need is this, humility. We need to, to unite around Jesus. We need to truly love one another and what it looks like biblically and choose to do that. But we need to be humble as well. Hum humility is a key ingredient of unity. It's, it's also a product of unity. It comes from when we are united together. If you, if you look, you don't have to necessarily turn there, but in Acts 4, 32, just a couple chapters later, 
It says, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt what, that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything that they had. And once you, beyond the actions of this verse, because I get there's this thing of like, hey, uh, whoever had need, they took and they shared their stuff. That's the actions. That's what was happening there. But I want you to get the heart of this. All believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt what they had was not their own, so they just shared with any when had need. When the church is unified, it's not about me anymore. That's, that's what the early church had. When they were here and they're saying, well, I didn't feel like, they, they didn't care if this is what I own, that you need this, because it wasn't about them anymore. It was about us. It's not about me anymore when the church is unified. And for the church to be unified, it can't be about me. It can't be about me. It takes humility on my part and your part. We, ha- we can't make it about us. And the truth is sometimes we make church about us. But we can't do that if we want to see unity in the body of Christ. Philippians 2, 1 through 11 says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Could Paul drill in the unity thing anymore in two sentences? He's talking about unity, right? He's saying, he's like, if you have any desire for this, please be unified and be more unified and be more... But then this is his command. He's talking about unity, and then he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, he's writing this to the church, okay? So he's saying, in your relationships with one another in the church, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being very in, in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name, of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Jesus loved the church, he did it by humbling himself, putting us in our needs above his own, even though we didn't deserve it. So they don't deserve it. Did you deserve it? Did I deserve it? No, but he looked at Arnie. He didn't take advantage. Instead, he sacrificed himself for us. And now we are urged to treat his church in the same way. This is, this is why, honestly, serving in the church should just be so natural. And I don't say this is a commercial to sign up to serve. They already did that, okay? My point is, if I was really thinking about my other believers and their needs above my own, I would just naturally do that. Just like when, I can see sometimes the advantage of certain things. Let's just use for example like the nursery, the crying babies. There's no babies crying right now, guys. 
And parents with babies, they're like, we know. You know? It's a break, right? It's just like, man, it's such a blessing, and you understand the blessing. But if I had the mindset I was just thinking about others, I would think, man, what if I could do that for someone else? That would just be a natural thought because I'm thinking of their needs above mine, and I would just do that. You know, like, for those of you, let me just pick on musicians for a second, okay? Maybe you play an instrument, you know, and you, you like to do that. But, and you stand in worship, and I'll just be honest, musicians, we just, we hear different stuff. Like, we get it more. I'm not trying to be like, I'm not saying that in a private way. It's just like, you hear what's going on, and you're like, oh, man. And you look at that cool guitar player, and you're like, it's not just a cool guy playing. You're like, man, the way he sets this atmosphere right now. Man, the way God's anointing him to do, and it just sets this tone in the room, which is so biblical, the way God's given us music to, and it's like, you see that, and you think, man, that's so awesome. And then even those that are not music, I mean, sometimes you just, you don't maybe get what's going on or who's playing what that makes it, but you're just like, there's something different when I come together and we gather with my believers, and there's something different when it's just like, people are playing music in front of me, and it's just like, man, the atmosphere is just there, right? But the flip side of that is if I thought, man, what if I could do that for others? Because I'm thinking like, man, I, would, I, wanna, I want other people to experience what I'm experiencing. Because instead of thinking about what I would get, I'm thinking about what other people would get. Okay? It's that same, and you could go on to different th areas in the church. But my point is, it should just be so natural. Because if I'm thinking of other people's needs above my own, that's just where I go. And Jesus thought of other people's needs above his own. And what did he say? I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. That's why, he de that's why he declared that, because he wasn't here for him. He was here for you and for me. And so it was just natural that he was going to serve. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. And then we can see, just like in Philippians declares, we can see God glorified in his church, and we can see unity in his church. The famous line read, by uniting we stand... By dividing, we fall. And I know that resonates with many of us. But you know, there was a much wiser one that wrote about this principle far before the Liberty Song. In Ephesians 4, 9 through 12, God declares this, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. There's always been this principle in place. Power in numbers, right? Safety in numbers. But the difference for us as believers is that it is more than the numbers that bring the power or bring this protection. Matthew 18, 20, Jesus said, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. He says, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. For us, it's about Jesus. He is the thing we have in common, right? He is the thing that brings us together. But when we are together, he is there with us. How many want God in this church? How many want Jesus to be right among us? And that's the difference when we talk about unity and, and, and the power that it would bring if we're unified together. 
or the benefits of that is it's not just you and I and the way we can, what we can do together. Jesus says, if you gather in my name, I'm going to be right there with you. The Bible describes it this way, Colossians 1, 18. It says, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. He is the head of the body. How many bodies do you know function well without their head? Some of you would be like, chickens can run without their head. Like, there is a life. Who wants to live that one, right? If we want the power of Christ, then we need to remain together in Christ. It is not an option. It is a necessity. Because not only does the body function as it should, but it remains with the head. And Jesus would be among us. And that's what we desire. We want to be Jesus-centered and we'll be spirit-filled. We need the power of God. We need Jesus among us. We need him to move. And to do that, let us unite in the name of Jesus then. Let us look past our differences to remember what we truly have in common. The most important thing we have in common, which is Jesus. Let us choose to love one another with compassion and with understanding in a way that the world would make the world jealous. Let us humble ourselves, not to not make church this thing that's about me and do I like this or do I like that or what do they have for me, but to serve one another well and to think of others' needs above our own. And if we do, let us see God move in mighty power and in and through this church body. Amen? Do you want to see that? I want to see that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your commands, your precepts. We thank you that they bring you glory. And Lord, I just pray that you let your word just penetrate hearts right now. Penetrate my heart. Speak to me, Lord. Penetrate their heart, Lord. Speak to them. Pray we wouldn't be the same when we walk out of this place today, Lord. Amen. Can you just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a couple moments? I just want to always give opportunity. If there's anyone in here and you feel like, you know, I don't even have that first part talk about the thing that unites us together it's Jesus and we say that's the that's the really the only thing it's everything and maybe you're sitting in this room you feel like you know I don't really have I'm not really pursuing Jesus I'm not really accepted him as my Lord and Savior I don't have that thing in common but today you just feel compelled you just feel like man I need to I need to have that I want to have that in common with the other believers in this church. I see those benefits, even the unity in us. I want that. And if that's you, you just need to get your life right with the Lord today. You need to believe that Jesus is who he said he is and accept him as your Lord and Savior, knowing that he died for your sins. He laid down his life for you. Not because he needed to, because he wanted to. Because you needed it. And if that's you, would you just raise your hand? so I can pray with you today. Just want to give opportunity. Give another moment. Okay, you guys can look up at me for a second. 
I want to I want to spend a season in prayer here for a little bit. But before we get there, I want to ask this: Do you have unity with your fellow believers? Is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there someone that you need to ask forgiveness from? Is there disunity somewhere in your life? Or is there something from today that caused you to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Maybe as I talked about one of those things, you just felt like, mm, man, God's talking to me right now. Do you need to recenter on Jesus? And remember that that is the commonality that is most important in the church. Maybe you've let something else become more important than that, and you need to recenter on Jesus today. Do you need to choose to love others in the church? To choose that. Are the attributes of love from Scripture a description of how you love your fellow believers? Or do you need to correct your compassion for others in the church? Maybe you need to humble yourself today. Have you made this church thing about you? Do you need to work on thinking of the others in the church and your other fellow believers first and serving others well in the church? And so I just, as God speaks to you, I just want to say, can we have a season of prayer today? It's one thing to hear the word of God and feel conviction and say, I need to get better at that. It's probably a lot of things. I mean, as I prepare this, there's a lot of things God's been like, ah, I need to get better at that. It's one thing to say that. It's another to lay it all out before the Lord and let him do a Holy Spirit work in you. So let's seek the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit.